We are I. a.m. A little bit of an early start this morning only because I went to bed at like nine o'clock last night because my body and my mind were still just exhausted um, from the weekend and last week and stuff. But um, nonetheless, part two of the hunting story. So here we go. This is after we just finished having our nice rock steaks cooked on our open fire. And I can't even begin to explain just like the the warmth and the joy and the comfort that I get from you know selecting the rocks to be able to build the fire ring making those rocks nice and tight and just knowing one of the one of the things that everybody who goes into the backcountry with me knows that I love the concept of building this fire ring and leaving it there and knowing that it's always going to be there Unless if somebody else moves it, like I've put fire rings in place that I know that if you went back like 300 years from now, it would still be there because they are in the most remote, hard to get to off the beaten path areas. And I've seen these rock rings like this before. I've seen rock rings that look like they've been there for 100 years. And I love that. It's one of the few things that I can do to be able to put my stamp on this world that I know will always physically be there unless if something absolutely catastrophic happens. But, you know, even if that does like a massive wildfire that just ravages a forest, that rock ring will still be there. And I just, I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, I get this fire ring made and, you know, I always have my emergency newspaper in my pack. And this is the one thing that I find very ironic about the waterproof matches that I also keep in my pack. They're the most useless pieces of junk that you can possibly put in your pack that you have to rely on in an emergency situation. And they're in there. I leave them in there because theoretically my mind says these waterproof matches are the way to go, but they are the most useless pieces of junk that you could ever put in a pack. Um, but me and my stubborn old school way of thinking, it's like I'm going to use these matches and it always takes like, 10 before you can actually you don't rip the head off one or you finally get it to strike or you know it's just the irony to me is just absolutely incredible you know hopping blowing on this fire getting nice warm getting my kindling going then i build in my nice little log house like structure um, i never build a little teepee thing i always find that to be funny that just never works for me i always build kind of like a crisscross pattern, like layers of a floor of a, a condo building, if you were to say. Get it going nice and warm. And I don't want to fire too hot. I don't want to fire too big because for one, we don't want to stay there, but we do need to cook these steaks. So I always layer my kindling nice and small and let it get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger to get some very minor coals going. Then some bigger ones, you know, maybe about the size of your thumb across the top in two different layers with some nice big gaps and I lay the stakes right on top of that and as soon as you throw those stakes on you just hear that tss, that nice sizzle 
get the flare-ups from the the fat just dripping down into that fire, which is nice because it helps kind of form the nice crispy char outside on the steaks. And, you know, thinking like, yeah, it'd be nice to have a wire grill, but why would you need to carry one around? Why would you need to invest in one when you can build a, a perfectly sufficient wood one? We have these nice four eight-ounce fillet steaks and, they're just sizzling away on the fire and after burning so many calories and, you know, getting to be almost 37,000 steps in in the day, you know, I just hungry, just need it. Like my body just looks down at that steak and every part of my body just says, grab that steak, grab that steak. Thinking about my plate, my pack and my knife in my pack, my fork in my pack and I'm like, ah, I don't even need it, just... Just give me a stick. Just lay it down on that rock on that, that fire ring and keep it nice and warm while you're eating and just bite off one piece at a time because you know that steak's going to be so tender that it's just easy to tear with your teeth and just chew in like butter. Mm. Just love those steaks. So we sit down and we're just talking about the blisters on Craig's feet and you know, looking up at the sky, just enjoying this blue day, talking about this next area that we're going to go hunt and trying to figure out all the FS ro FSR roads to be able to get there. Seeing these fantastic steaks. And my pack all organized because last time that we took the stuff out of the pack, I created a dead spot in my pack. And everybody knows you don't want a dead space in your pack. So it makes your pack feel awkward when you're carrying it for sure, especially when you're going uphill. So we finish up our steaks and we pack up and we put out our fire. And you know, when I put out a fire, I like to kind of create a, a rock cave over it, you know, just in case. You know, so I just start stacking rocks and rocks and rocks on top of this. And, you know, it's about three feet high and trying to cover every little hole. And you have this little mountain of rocks there. But, you know, I love and respect the backcountry so much. I would never want to be responsible for something happening to it. And we hop back in the truck and realize that on the way down that some of these uh, decommissioned spots and these potholes that we were driving over just far too big now are bottoming out everywhere and taking them sideways and smashing the truck doors into the into trees and you're just kind of laughing in two ways that it actually is funny but just laughing out of like oh, I can't believe we're just beating on this truck like this considering it's not even ours it's Craig's brother's truck but we didn't have any other truck at the moment to be able to take did well though you know we rubbed that dashboard we caressed that steering wheel we gave that truck some love definitely got us in to where we needed to go still haven't seen a deer except for the deer that we seen along the the side of the road and starting to feel a little bit discouraged we're driving down the road and we get to the smoother part like the more accessible fsr road and turn this corner and bam two deers oh just does but oh my gosh was it nice to see was it nice to see a couple of years it's like life finally you know and this is in the middle of the day this is like four o'clock in the afternoon when these deer shouldn't really be up and mobile and walking around but oh it was so nice to be able to see them so then i say to craig i'm like you shouldn't be driving like this is you're going to be able to take the first shot here. So, you know, you hop in the passenger side, you navigate and you get ready just in case we see a, like a buck on this road or we have to hop out and get into one of these little meadows just off the side of the road. You be ready. So we're driving along and we get about another, you know, 
two kilometers down the road and something catches the corner of my eye. So I stop and I look and just immediately up about a six foot, seven foot black bear standing on her back legs. As soon as I stop, she just pops up on her back legs and her little cub is right there beside her. And I'm fumbling with my phone trying to take a picture and yeah, she's about you know 60 yards away, but you still get a good picture like that. So now we're feeling really jacked up, like real good. Like, hey, like, you know, now we're starting to see some wildlife. Like, this is what we wanted to see because before that, we've seen deer poop, moose poop, and bear poop everywhere. Yeah, but now we're actually starting to see the animals that represent those droppings. And oh my gosh, was it good to see. So we turn the corner and we're weaving up and we're making our way up this next section. And I was like, Chris, that's up. Say what? And he's like, back up, back up, back up, slow, slow, slow. So I back up and just in this tiny little break in the trees, see these two mule deer just bedded down in this little meadow 30 yards away from the truck. Like, oh, no buck, but hey, great sign. Seeing another two mule deer. Now we definitely are on the right track. We're starting to feel really jacked up. We're starting to feel energized. Again, to the keep on driving and we get to the hundredth Y in the road and trying to navigate our way through. And, you know, Google Maps, when you get on FSR roads, is not like nice, clear roads. It's like this little gray, fuzzy line that doesn't even seem like it should represent a road. And sometimes it doesn't even. So then we decide to say, I'm like, this is where I want to go. This is where I'm talking about. So find our way to be able to get there. So Craig looks on the map and he said, okay, this way. Okay, fine. So we started winding our way up and great little road. And you could tell there's no fresh tire tracks on any one of these roads. There's no ETV tracks, no horse tracks. There's no human tracks. There's no truck tracks or anything. So we know that we're in a spot that at least we have a fighting chance to be able to, you know, have the best opportunity to pull something out of here. So we're making our way up and we're so close. We're like right there. And then see these trees laid down on the road, you know, and they're only about the size of your leg. You know, so we're trying to push them out of the way. We're trying to pull them out of the way, getting stuck in the face with tree branches coming off and trying to break them off because they're all dead. They've just been wind blown over and we're trying to figure out a way to be able to move these things. So Craig pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes. It breaks free. He falls and starts rolling down the hill a little bit. We start laughing. I grab this other one, I'm just ripping it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, I stomp on the top out of frustration, break just enough off. We can get the truck around, get to the third of the fourth tree. And there's no way we're going to move this thing. So I just start hacking branches off and we slowly drive over it with the truck. Get to the fourth one, same thing, start hacking branches off and just drive over it with the truck. We crest this hill and we start to go down this road and realize that there's the place I wanted to go off to the right-hand side and we're clearly on the wrong road, which happens all the time when you're driving down these FSR roads. So now we're going down and down and down and we decide to stop because we have a nice view of it. We decide to throw the spotting scopes and the binoculars on there and just see if we can see anything. We don't, but we see how great this habitat is to be able to house this mule deer or any mule deer. So... We decide like, hey, okay, we're going to go. But realize we're at a dead end now. So I'm backing up a, a long box four-wheel drive truck backwards up this road that's just as wide as the truck with a 300-foot drop-off on one side and kind of like a sheer mountainside or like hillside on the other. 
knowing that if I just scrape my mirror along the side of the other, or on my side, driver's side, that we're not going to fall off the cliff on the other side. I hate those moments. Those moments always just get the hair standing back up on my neck. And, you know, it's about three quarters of a kilometer back up this road. And it's not straight. It makes it twist and turns. But the excitement of knowing that we've seen all of this, this life is just saying we need to get there. We both could feel it. It was just calling to us. So we back up this road and turn around and get back down where we want to go, get back onto the main road and drive up to where we want to go into this meadow and we stop and you know every different vantage point on this road to be able to see this meadow we want to go to we stop and we're looking and looking and looking and looking and we get up and around the corner we get to the top and now we realize it's like four times bigger than we ever thought because we're on the backside now it's just vast just vast and we both just light up in huge smiles on our face and all of a sudden we look down and craig sees this mule deer standing right on the road she's just standing there so we're looking around we spend about a half an hour just glass in the air and say okay well we need to walk down because the decommissions are so deep now we can't drive over them i'm gonna walk right past this deer so we're walking down we get our packs on we get our gear on and you know we're walking down and just cracking over the 40 something thousand steps for the day and we're walking down and this mule deer she's just standing there and we get to the corner, I see her look up, and I was like, stop. I'm like, you know, like there might be a buck back. She keeps looking back up into these trees. There's something there. So we just sit down, we just wait. And I kind of lean over a little bit. And I see a, see a mule. That is a mule deer. So I lean back, and I was like, okay, I'm like, right. I'm like, just slowly, I'm like, get ready. I'm like, there's a deer there. I don't know what it is. But you got to be ready, because if it's a buck, you might have like a split second to make this shot. So we wait and we wait and we wait and out jumps a fawn. Oh, so beautiful. So we don't want to scare it. We're not into creating havoc. We want to respect the, you know, these deer. So we just let this fawn do its thing and make its way across the road. And for some reason, it just wouldn't want to go across the other side to where his mom was. It wanted to keep walking up the road and jump up the road. So we said, fine, we'll just follow you up the road. But we started walking past this mule deer and we're probably 20 feet away from her now. And she's just sitting there just... And I'm like, who, what are you guys? Like, like, what is this? You could tell how few people hunt in that area because if people hunted in that area, that mule deer would never be standing there. As soon as it's seen anything of you, it'd just be gone. So just like, wow, so if we see anything, this is the spot. So we get our way up the top and we find this great point to be able to, to glass all the area around us and just eyes locked on the tree lines because, you know, at last light, that's where those bucks are going to come out is they're going to wander out of those trees and be right along those tree lines. So we're sitting there and we get our point and I'm sitting there with my binos on and we're looking around and we've kind of, we're about 20 feet apart and you know, like the lights getting, it's about half an hour before dark, 45 minutes before dark, but it's just dark enough that it's not crisp in your binoculars or your spotting scope. Like it's just, it's a little bit hazy, a little bit dark and it's tougher to be able to see things especially a long ways away so i look at my binos and i'm like okay i think that's a buck i think that's a buck bedded down right there but it's about you know two thousand yards away i'm like is that a buck so i'm like great i'm like come over here i'm like hey is that like throw your spying scope on that is that is that a buck over there 
He's like, no, nah, I don't think so. He's like, I think it's just like a stump with some tree branches growing out of it, which this happens like all the time. Like you want to see a buck so bad and some of them get like so far out there that your mind starts playing tricks on you that everything that you see is is a buck. Like you, you can pick it out of all these things because all the dead trees that are knocked over the same color as the antlers of the deer. And they're also the same color as a deer. So I was like, are you sure? So we go through about 10 minutes of going back and forth. And finally, I just cave in. So I'm like, I know what you're doing, Blake. You want to you convince yourself that this is deer. It's not. So he goes back walking over to his spot and then glassing around. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, this one is, this is definitely a buck bedded down for sure. But then I start to feel that hesitancy inside me. I'm like, wow, I'm like, don't call him over. I'm like, what if you're wrong? And I'm like, but what if you're right? You can't live in that kind of fear. Like, what if you're right? So I'm like, quick, come back over here. Come, come on. I'm like, okay, now this. And then when you're over here, like, glassing with somebody, like, this is always the for the funny game. You're like, do you see off in the distance that third tree that has this bend in it? And then you go down three finger lengths, and there's this white rock, this black speck. And if you go over, you know, six thumbs from there, you know, and you go up a little bit, there's this curve, you know, and it's in like, it's just, it's so funny when you hear somebody trying to explain where you're looking in your binoculars to somebody else who has no idea where you're glassing. It's hilarious. So yeah, we go through our back and forth. He's just like, no, I don't think that that's a deer either. So now I'm feeling, you know, I'm like, I got like 15, 16 years on this guy and I'm just, not that age has anything to do with it, but I just the experience of hunting and I'm just like, and I know this always happens to me. I'm just like, I want to see a deer so bad, everything becomes a deer. But now I'm starting to feel a little ridiculous that I keep calling them over and nothing is. You know, so I guess then we're just not really seeing much activity besides that one deer and that fawn. So I'm like, hey, I'm like, I'm like, it's been a long day. We've been up since three o'clock. You know, it's like 745 or something like that. And I'm like, hey, I'm like, let's just pack up. Let's at least get back to the truck. You know, and then we can set up camp and, you know, like, we'll come back in the morning. And he's like, oh, man, he's like, we got, like, 10 minutes left, 15 minutes left of, of good light where we can actually ethically pull the trigger. And I'm like, okay. So we have about less than 10 minutes, you know, maybe between 5 and 10 minutes of good light left. And so I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, we're not seeing anything. So I stand up and Craig said, okay, just give me one more second. So I stand up and stretch because the body's just cramping up hard by this point in time and sit and take a breath and I'm looking around and so I just dropped to the ground. Because every hunter knows when you look out and you can see a deer about four or five hundred yards away and you can see its antlers, you know it's a big deer, a really big deer. So I look up because Craig's about 10 feet higher than me up on this little knoll. I'm like, psst, Craig, psst. you know, like you're trying not to yell, but you're so excited and you need to get this person's attention immediately because you just, everything is against you. This, this deer's walking in the opposite direction back into the tree line. The light's fading quick. The guy's too far away from you. He needs to get positioned in to be able to take the shot. Like just, there's so much that needs to happen in such a short period of time. So I finally get his attention. I'm like, give the old standard, you know, palms on the side of the head, 
finger sticking up. So if you hold three fingers up, it's a three-pointer. If you hold four fingers up, it's a four-pointer and so on. And the higher you slide your hand up is the, the bigger the rack is. So like I'm like elbows to my ears with four fingers hanging up there. And so he looks at me and you just see his jaw drop and natural reaction. He stands up and I'm like, how do you know? And then he throws his, gets down, throws his binos on, and he looks at me, just jaw dragging on the ground. He's like, that's a monster buck. And I'm like, I know. So he kind of crawls down. The problem is, is all the grass that we're in is like three feet tall. So when you're seated in it, you can't see anything. So he sees and I see it. And then, you know, it kind of drops over the backside of this little bit of a ridge. So we both have to reposition. He goes down to the left. I go down into the right I go down to the right and, you know, I kind of get worked into this area by fluke where I can see this deer perfectly and Craig works his way down and I see him moving again, works his way down. And I'm like, okay, I'm sitting there. My binoculars are just locked on this deer. My arms are just shaking so bad because every second that goes by is just a missed opportunity. And I'm like, why is he not taking this shot? Like this deer is standing right there broadside. I'm like, you can't get any better of a shot than this. And the only thing that I can think of is where he positioned himself. He's now probably about 20 feet lower than I am. And he probably just can't see this deer. So in your mind, you're like, should you reposition? You know, should you try to be able to signal and to say like, hey, you, you got eyes on this deer. Like what is happening? So I look down, can't see Craig, look back up, can't see the deer. I was, oh, there we go, missed opportunity. I can't even believe that this just happened. So I hang my head in a little bit of disappointment, lift my head back up, throw my binoculars on, and I see the the butt of a deer. Very distinct. Anybody who knows like big white thing, especially with the mule deer, has this little black end on its tail. So it's like a white target with a triangular black tail. And it's slightly just askew, not quite broadside. And look down and can see that it's still a, a four-point buck. But it doesn't quite, there's this feeling inside that says, like, that's not the same one. Still clearly a four-point buck, still clearly a shootable buck. And, you know, we're definitely on that track. And then it's like, now I'm like, now he has to be able to say, there's two bucks here. I'm like, you got to take one. Boom. Boom. Drop instantly. Yes success yes so i look down i run over there just immediately get up and just run and i'm like what took you so long he's like i couldn't see it but he's like i don't think it's the same buck i'm like i know i'm like i same thing for me it's not that monster buck we've seen but still we can harvest this buck so we go walking down there just feeling so proud just i'm so proud of him and just the elation and the joy running through my body and just so proud of him you know, being able to stay calm in that moment. Like, it's not easy to be able to take a shot from 500 yards away and be successful. And he did a great job. Generally, the actual distance was 470-something yards, um, according to his range finder. So, you know, we were, we were right there. I think it's about 500 yards away. And we get down there, and just the admiration for an animal, just the, the respect. And just seeing that this specific mule deer is probably 30 pounds bigger than what you know most mule deers are so we couldn't even be happier just knowing that we get that much more meat just have that much more meat to enjoy and love and respect from this animal and just knowing that this couldn't have gone any better like this day couldn't have gone any better you know to be able to start so early after such little sleep to 
walking so long, just to being so exhausted and so discouraged from not seeing anything, you know, to putting on more miles to waiting and, and it all works out to be within the last 10 minutes of the day. And we're like, okay, this is hunting. This is definitely hunting. And this is why we come back. For the love, the respect, the challenge, it's the beautiful part about hunting. And I love every minute.